Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas that you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Ingle, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU Chief of Staff. And I'm excited today to introduce our guest for today's show, Bobby Jones. Bobby is a basketball Hall of Famer, known as one of the best defensive forwards to ever play in the NBA, uh, known as the Secretary of Defense. Mm, come on. A four-time NBA All-Star, an eight-time member of the NBA All-Defensive Team, NBA Sixth Man of the Year, I believe that was in 1983, won an NBA championship with the Philadelphia 76ers in 1983, played for the ABA for the Denver Nuggets, and then in the NBA, of course, with the 76ers. And uh, Bobby, it's truly an honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you. I appreciate that. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And, and you know, personally, I, I just want you to know your legacy actually has shaped, it really shaped my passion for uh, basketball specifically, helped me to uh, launch my first career. I, I spent 10 years in sports television, finished my career in that uh, in Los Angeles and, and uh, working for NBC television. And then God called me into full-time ministry and, and eventually to be a, a university president, but goes way back. This is a full circle moment. Um, when I was 12 years of age, we lived in Denver and went to all the Nugget games and had a chance to uh, have you and your wife, Tess, over to our house for dinner. And, and you yeah. uh, graciously accepted that invitation and uh, remember you coming over and and couldn't believe that somebody like you would come and, yes. and uh, take just a few minutes to you know have dinner with, with me. And then I, I remember um, you had invited me to come down at courtside and I, I would meet Tess, your wife there, and she would you would uh, loan me your college yearbooks from University of North Carolina. I was able to go through some of those and, and of course, get them back to you. But uh, but you probably didn't realize what kind of influence you had on my life and my career, like yeah. I'm sure you've had in so many people's lives. Yeah. So it's, the Lord has a, yeah, the Lord has a plan for all of our lives. Uh, you never know how it intermingles with other people. So that's a real blessing to see that. Exactly, and and it is. It's wonderful. Now, uh, as we get started. You know, you played, uh, as as mentioned, you played both the ABA and the ABA and NBA and were part of, you know, 595 wins between the Nuggets and 76ers. And, and uh, again, I, I enjoyed watching your career, especially in Denver. Uh, I was I remember that final season of the ABA, 75-76, and the championship series against the New York Nets. Yep. Um, Facing uh, uh, Dr. J, who you would, of course, join and be a teammate down the road. But I remember that I went to all of the playoff games that that year and, and especially the championship. And uh, you played alongside with the Nuggets, Dan Issel, David Thompson, Ralph Sampson, uh, uh, Byron Beck, and, and of course, the human eraser, Marvin Webster at, at that time. But um, yeah, just loved your career. But but tell us, uh, how, how did you first realize your deep passion for the game? of basketball and and that that would be a career for you well can i have to really admit to you that i really didn't have a deep passion for most of my life for basketball or for any sports i was a very uncoordinated kid growing up um, you know when i was 12 years old i wore a size 12 shoe and then when i was 13 i wore a size 13 and it continued until i was 17 years old and i wore a size 17 shoe but you know, i didn't understand that the lord was giving me a good foundation so I, and my dad recognized that I was going to be tall and 
kind of pushed me into basketball and I didn't, again, didn't enjoy it because I, I just wasn't very good at it, not very coordinated. But um, I will say that um, through high school, college, and in the, even in the pros, I had really good coaches who mentored me mm. and, and taught me uh, how to use the strengths that I do have Maybe not a great shooter, but uh, maybe you know somebody could jump pretty well and could get back on defense. And and uh, I really also think that the Lord put me on teams that just you know I, I didn't have to score. You know, yeah. like you just mentioned David Thompson and Dan Essel and those guys. And then with Philly, Julius Irving and uh, Moses Malone, Charles Barkley, a lot of guys who who did the other things well um, really freed me up to do the things that I I I, mm. I was blessed to be able to do so when when you so yeah so you didn't have that deep passion but what when you did step into that what was it that really allowed you to excel what were the things uh, you mentioned coaches um and you had some great coaches dean smith larry brown um cutting uh, billy cunningham uh what were the things that helped you to be such a great player the disciplines that you 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 made a part of your life well, I, you know, I think part of it is, you know, my personality, I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly compliant person. And I think as, a, as an athlete, if you can listen to what your coach says and, and try to effectively do that, it goes a long way. If, uh, you know, if, if you have your own attitude and your own thought about what you sh- should be doing as opposed to the coach, that doesn't really work out too well. Um, and so I think that's one of it. And I think part of it is uh, my years at North Carolina, uh, my freshman year, we had a freshman coach named Bill Guthridge okay. who eventually took over the program when Coach Smith retired. And Coach Guthridge really instilled in me some habits that um, continued throughout my pro career. Wow. Um, and I'll give you an example. I was I was a pretty good rebounder, but you know, a lot of times I would just stand and watch the ball go up and just stand there during practice. And so Coach Guthridge made it a point whenever we would scrimmage, he would have either himself or one of his assistants just target me with 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 his hands cupped and as soon as the shot went up he'd say bobby go get the rebound go get it yeah. and it would trigger me to, to instinctively mm-hmm. go get the rebound or and then he'd also have me you know sprint back on defense and and those things eventually became a habit and those wow. habits you know were something that that really propelled my career because as i just said earlier i you know, I was a I was an average shooter from outside. I, I was 0 for 17 for my career from the three point line, <laughs> but um, and I, I I would learn how to shoot the mid range shot. But you know, I, I had um, I, I did have great coaches who, who helped me. And then I would say this: my my senior year in college, I gave my life to the Lord and became a mm-hmm. Christian. And I would have to say that that really more than anything changed my perspective of athletics. I. I no longer really was concerned about myself. I was my goal was trying to honor the Lord and what sure. I did, and that yeah. was try to try to win a basketball game, mm-hmm. not to try to score thirty points or to do whatever else I could do out there. And and that really um, that really set the tone for me to to know that you know being a leader is trying to first of all you have to be a follower, and right. I was wow. a follower of Christ. Yeah. That's huge. And you know what's what's kind of crazy to me about your story. It was when we think about a lot of the uh, the young people, the students that we get a chance to work with here at Southeastern University is, you know, you just said that that 
your career didn't start from a place of passion, didn't necessarily start from a place of talent. It just started from a place of, of obedience to the opportunity that God brought to your life. It was right there in front of you and you decided to run with it. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to young people right now as they're evaluating the opportunities in front of them, trying to figure out, hey, what is God calling me to do? How can they step into that? Even if, like you said, they're in a situation like you were at with, without passion and all those different things. Well, I would, you know, I, I would go back to Romans 12, too, and where it says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to be able to test and approve what God's will is, mm-hmm. his good, pleasing, the perfect will. And, you know, that to says to me that, that he has a will for all of us. He has a plan for right. each one of us. Right. Now, my biggest stumbling block to become a Christian was I, I, I wanted to play basketball. I was, I was good enough so that by the, my sophomore year in college, I made the Olympic team, and and I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a believer at the time. And my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife of 45 years, you know, led me to the Lord. And, you know, when, when that happened, it just it just changed everything for me. So I I, uh, I no longer, you know, my, 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 my prayer was, Lord, save me from my sins. But it was also, Lord, show me how to be a Christian in a world that looks at Christians kind of differently, kind of oddly. And especially in sports. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see a Christian, you think, well, that guy's not aggressive or he's, yeah. you know, he's not really uh, sold out for, for athletics or whatever. And, yeah. uh, you know, I really have to say that the, the Lord uh, provided that for me. And my fear was I was going to, you know, I want to play seven years of pro ball. That was mm-hmm. my goal before I became a believer. And uh, when I, and, and I, my fear was when I became a believer, I could be a missionary somewhere, like in Africa or somewhere. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah. But you know, the Bible says the Lord gives you He gives you the things you, you desire. He gives you the blessings of your life, and He did that. He didn't let me play seven. He gave me twelve years, yeah. and you know I was a missionary, but maybe not in Africa, but you know in the NBA. So right. that was real blessing. So I would say to young people, you know, don't 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 follow the pattern of what everybody else says you have to do. Pray about where your life is and what mm. what the Lord has for you, and what your strengths are, and what you. Uh, feel like he should be involved in. Yeah, and that's and that's powerful, and that's actually kind of the missional statement for Southeastern. Uh, you know, we get to help these amazing students that God sends our way to continue to discover and develop their divine design, the way God made them and wired them and gifted them, and and so that is so powerful to to be able to connect to that. Um, you know, you've you've had the opportunity to course play in the NBA and and you've watched many eras in basketball all marked by incredibly different but still a lot of amazing people and players uh, again as as mentioned you played with Julius Irving Dr. J and Moses Malone and Maurice Cheeks and and then you were able to play against people like Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and and I believe even Michael Jordan um, you, you know you've watched the Kobe Bryant era, now LeBron James. From what you have seen, what characteristics do you think are important for a great athlete to have? Well, I would say that the first thing that an athlete has to have is, um, one, is attitude of wanting to win. Yeah. As far as victories, as opposed to wanting to score 25 points a game. Wow. Now, if that's his talent, then that's that's great. Go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would say the other thing would be uh, the ability or the willingness to sacrifice and and put out the work that has to be done. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, in our in our society today, a lot of people just don't want to work. And that, that, you know, 
Mm-hmm. I want to sweat. I, I'm 70 years old now, almost 70, and uh, I'm amazed in my neighborhood. I'm the only one that mows my yard. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like, nobody wants to sweat. Let's hire yeah. somebody else to do it. And uh, I think that's something that uh, the, the the great players that I played against, you know, and I, you know, as an example, Bird and Magic. Whenever I had to guard those guys, they never took a playoff. They they always looked for some opening or some some let up mm-hmm. from the defense. Yeah. So that they could splice or make a back cut or, or get to the basket, uh, as opposed to some other players who were fairly average players who, who they would have some big games, but then they would take nights off or they take several plays off. And wow! Those two guys are were guys that I I knew that when I was playing against them, I had to I had to play the whole time, alert all the time, never turn my back on them because wow. they were going to do something. Yeah, and I you know I had the privilege to cover the. The Lakers back uh, in the in the early '80s in in Los Angeles, and what you're saying is so true because I watched Magic Johnson. He'd get into the gym early in the morning and stay late at at, at night because he he and and he would work even on the fundamentals, things that mm-hmm. you would think, you know, wow, he's he's should have all that down, but he kept staying steady at that and disciplined, and and you could see that hard work effort. Well, and, and you know the debate we have right now is who's who's the greatest, who's defining this era right now, and we've got a lot of you know comparisons, controversy right here. But it goes back to what you're saying is there's there's just something difference between guys who have incredible stats and guys who win games, right? And and it's not that they're mutually exclusive, right? Guys who win games have incredible stats, but it's crazy how there can be so many guys with such amazing stats and they're not winning games. And that goes like across the board. That's not just basketball. That's that's leadership in general. If you're a pastor, if you're a leader of a company, a CEO, what does it mean to win? And what is the difference between giving the appearance of leadership and then actual leadership right. on that on that part of it? You know, that's Michael, that's very true. And I'll give you an example of, of a case that with my team. Um, Julius Irving was a great scorer, great player. And I remember several times during games um, in the first quarter or the second quarter, I haven't scored or Maurice Cheeks hadn't scored. During the timeout, he'll tell our coach Cunningham, he said, hey, uh, Bobby hadn't, t- hadn't got a look yet or Maurice mm-hmm. hadn't got a shot up yet. Let's, let's run and play for them. Wow. And it's like, no, his goal was to win. Right. It wasn't to score 30 points. He knew he could do that, but yeah. he knew to get other people involved, to be an encouragement to others. That's that's a big thing. And I I, I loved him as a, as a teammate because he was an encourager. I right. remember one night we were playing, and um, I, I, I don't know, I think I took a shot. I missed it. Mm-hmm. We ended up losing the game, or I, maybe I threw the ball away. I can't remember what it was, but the game ended, and we went into the locker room, and he just, he, his locker wasn't beside me, but he came and sat beside me, put his arm around me, and just mm. said, hey, don't worry about it. We'll get him next time. Wow. Yeah. You know, as opposed to a lot of guys would would say some words that mm. you might not appreciate yeah. uh, at that moment, but, um, you know, really appreciate that kind of uh, leadership. Yeah. Right. Well, and I'm a Florida guy, so I've, you know, been following Miami for a while, and it, it what frustrated me about about the era and everybody knows what I'm talking about. So, okay, I'm not a sports commentator, whatever. But when you talk about the Miami era under LeBron James with the dream team, right? What was sad to me is that era started with three incredible guys. This was the dream team. And by the end of the era, there was only one. What happened? What, you know? And so, right, they won a couple championships. Sure, it was awesome and it defined it. But it's like, 
how did we, you can't be the kind of person that sucks the talent from the rest of the team or not sucks the talent. It's probably too aggressive, but you got to be the kind of person that enhances it, not, not take it away. And that's, you know, you know, the most, the, to me, the most outstanding players are guys like Dwayne Wade, yeah. um, who one year led the league in scoring, but he also had a hundred block shots and a hundred steals. Yeah. And was all defense. And, and, and Michael Jordan, who's for so many years led the league in scoring, but was a great defender. Also, those are the guys that changed the game. Right. It's the guys on both ends. And that was, uh, that was true on those two guys. And, and speaking of of changing the game, um, I, I you know honestly can say that it seems like we're kind of in the middle of transitioning another era of of basketball. What do you think is the future of this sport? And in your opinion, who do you think is going to lead the way um, in in these kinds of transitions? That's a good question. Uh, can I, you know, Giannis is one of my favorite players, and yeah. I, I think that. You know his his attitude. You know, I think he he he's a down to earth person who has a humble attitude, um, who who's obviously willing to do the work, right. which he has done to improve himself since he's come into the league. And I think it's players like that who will uh, who will lead this league and continue on to. You know, the, the league is full of great athletes. It, 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 but for the last 50, 60 years since the league has come into being, the difference is. Is, is the attitude you yeah. know the, the are, are you a, are you a teammate are you are you helping each other and that you know Giannis does that I mean he he's with his he's with those guys he didn't leave those guys for for greener pastures and um I think that speaks volumes yeah very very much so what I think is so um inspiring also about your story is the history of health issues um, that you face, starting with asthma and then getting diagnosed with epilepsy in, in I believe it was in 1978, but still playing and living fearlessly. How did you overcome those obstacles during not just your athletic career, but in your life in general? Well, you know, Ken, my, I, had a, I had my first seizure when I was in college. I was playing volleyball in the springtime and had some too much soda, and it had a it had a preservative that triggered a seizure in me, and um, didn't think much about it. Um, and then I had one in Denver, and I remember going on, on the hospital ride to the to the hospital. My wife Tess was there with me, and and when I came became conscious, the first thing we did was we thanked the Lord. We just yeah. prayed and said, "Lord, thank you for this. We don't know why we have it." Uh, I have it, or why it's happening, but we thank you because we know your plan is perfect for my life. Yeah. And, um, you know, he gives us things sometimes we don't want to make us stronger, to make us more dependent on him, make us more aware of his presence in our life. And, um, you know, I, I really think that, you know, as I look back on my life, you know, in Denver, it wasn't just the epilepsy. I had a heart issue also. I had a rapid heartbeat when I would start games. and I had to take medication for that. And so I think part of it was the altitude or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like the, the Lord used the epilepsy to get me out of Denver and back to a, a lower altitude, more, a little bit more oxygen possibly. But, you know, he put me on a team with a with a general manager who was a Christian believer mm. who allowed me to start a chapel program. And, you know, put us, I was around great players. Um, and so, you know, I look back on those things and, you know, it wasn't fun. I still yeah. take the phenobarbital every night uh, for the epilepsy. But I... I've told so many people, if that's the worst thing that happens to me, I'm a blessed person. Yeah. You know, because I... 
so many other people have so many other things happening to their lives. And, mm -hmm. um, the Lord has protected me in so many other areas and ways. And I can still play tennis. I can still ride my bicycle. Mm -hmm. and I'll even shoot hoops with my grandkids. So it's oh, it's wow. been a blessing to, to see how the Lord, you know, honors a faithful commitment to Him. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a great word. And, you know, I, I love... I love how much faith is integrated with your story, and especially when you talk about this situation dealing with these different things. There's a major discussion happening right now, right, with the mental health of athletes. People are talking about different things. We saw what happened with Simone Biles in the Olympics this year, having to take some time off and got criticism either way. And then we're even seeing, you know, these rise of depression, suicide with collegiate athletes when their careers end, trying to redefine that identity. How has your faith kind of helped you? cope with that strain of being an athlete and what is it what is it i want you to expand a little bit of what does it mean as an athlete to take care of yourself in that kind of way well it's a couple of things michael one i think it uh what it means for me is that when as a player um uh, my focus was just honor the lord you know Colossians, whatever it says you know whatever you do in word or deed do it as unto the lord and um you know i so whenever i would miss a shot or I'd make a mistake you know, I knew the I was I knew in my mind that the Lord was was watching and that that it didn't matter it didn't matter to him. I was, as long as I gave the effort, I was okay with that. And then the second thing I I think is that our society today is so immersed in social media that you know people want to want to read about themselves and they want to put themselves out there for marketing or whatever reasons. And you're going to get negative feedback. Right. I remember as a player, I never read the papers. Mm -hmm. I never read a newspaper when I was playing. The only time I would read it is I'd look at the box scores to see who I was going to be playing and what they did the night before and how, what the standings were. But today, everybody is, is so sensitive about themselves because of people coming into yeah. their lives. Right. Exclude those people. Right. You know, yeah. you know I, had a, I, had a Christian, I had Christian friends in Denver, and then in Philly, I had Christian friends who encouraged me, lifted me up. Um, you know, didn't ridicule me, didn't criticize me for the mistakes I made, and um, I was so thankful for that. Yeah, no, that's that's powerful. You you after you know uh, uh, playing for some time, of course you you developed and and you share this often a newfound appreciation just even for the little things in in everyday life. And I love when you share your testimony and you've shared it even even now with us how your faith has literally transformed your life. How 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 do you live day by day to keep your faith strong, uh, relevant, and 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 impactful in people's lives? Well, the first thing I do is uh, whenever I wake up in the morning, I, I, I say Psalm 91. I've memorized it, and I repeat it, you know, and uh, I'm so thankful for, for His protection over my life. Uh, yeah. And then the older I get, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of a quiet person not a real social person, but uh, th the Lord has, has sort of given me more of a boldness to just say to people, hey, you know, Jesus is Lord. Je you know, th this world is changing in such a way that uh, without without the Lord, there, you, you're lost. There's, there's nothing out there. So as an example, we had uh, somebody delivered us a, an appliance the other day, and two guys unloaded it and put it in, and and as they left, I, I gave them a little tip, and I, I also gave them a, a tract and told them, I said, listen, you guys, I, I know you guys are from out of town, and, but, you know, just let, let one you know, there's a church right down the road that uh, 
these guys, these guys are African American, and I, and I go to a church that's half and half. Mm-hmm. I said, "Listen, come just come to my church. Uh, I want to invite you to it." And so, um, you know, Jesus um, puts us in a position in our in our lives where um, I know, in, 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 as a player, a lot of times I would invite guys to come to chapel, and guys would ridicule me, or they say, "I'm an atheist. I don't believe in that. I'm not coming to that, or, or whatever, or it's a personal thing." Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just said, uh, you know, you just move on, and, and the Lord opens opportunities for you, and you have to use those opportunities, or, or why are we here for, right, if, if not? Right. Yeah, and, and, and that leads me to, to a final question before we move into our, our fire round and, and close this wonderful conversation that we've been having. What advice would you give a young athlete who has faith, but maybe is scared of what could happen to their career if they're bold and open about their faith publicly in our culture today? Well, I would, I, I would say read the Word. Yeah. Read God's Word. And uh, One thing that's happened to me, I mean, for, for the last 30 years, almost 30 years now, my wife and I have committed to reading through the Bible every year. And mm-hmm. um, I think we missed one or two years. But as I've done that, I've, it, it, it strengthens it strengthens my faith in what God is doing in my life and through my life. And I, I shared a story um, often when I speak of um, of a situation that happened to me when I was uh, with the uh, Sixers playing against the Knicks, and we were uh, I, there was a guy on the Knicks that was just bothering me. I mean, he was just cheap shotting me and just doing things. I just I just wanted to knock him out. I just <laughs> wanted to, to lay him out. And, I knew as a believer that's not the way to do it. So, uh, you know, I, 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 at halftime, I walked to the locker room and I just, I was so frustrated. I've, I've never been so frustrated in my life. And um, uh, I just put a towel over my head. Coach was talking. I didn't hear a word he said. I just said this prayer. I said, Lord, this is more than I can handle. I, I need your help on this. And I immediately heard in my head, the, the verse, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Yeah. yeah. And I'd never heard it before. I, I had read through the Bible once by the, at that point, or maybe twice. But I didn't, I, but I immediately knew that that was scripture. And I, 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 it gave me a piece about my situation. So I, I calmed down and went about the second half. And at the second half, the coach on the other team had placed this guy to guard another guy on our team named Steve Mix. Okay. I don't know if you remember yeah. Steve. Oh, yeah. Steve was about two inches shorter, about 30 pounds heavier than I was, and had a much shorter fuse than I did. <laughs> yeah. And these guys got into a fight within two minutes of the second half. They both got ejected, and I ended up having a great game. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking, uh, wow, that's yeah. awesome. And uh, we bust back to Philly at 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I wake up my pastor. I said, where is the verse that says, you know, no problem for me? And he says, this is Isaiah. He gave me, gave me the verse. I said, I knew that was scripture. And and I would say this, that, you know, as we commit our lives to the Lord, he makes a promise, you right. know, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Yeah. You know, we may have stumbles. We're going to have seven, you know, I don't want the epilepsy, but I'm, I'm yeah. accepting it. Yeah. But he, his plan for us is to honor him in our lives. Yeah. And uh, as we try to do that, he gives us blessings. And I've got eight grandkids to prove that. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's so powerful. And, and, and yeah, and, and scripture does teach us. I, I was reading in, in first Corinthians chapter 16 the other day and came across verse, I think it was verse 13 that 
kind of talked about, uh, you know, really on a daily life, Paul, uh, you know, said, you know, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be strong, be courageous, and do everything with love. And you do that, and wow, watch what God can do with your life and have an impact. And that's that's your story, and, and wow. Well, as we move into this fire round, we're just going to ask you uh, three quick questions surrounding kind of everything we discussed, and and of course, just give your answer with your with your gut. But uh, we want to grab some a uh, few practical, applicable pieces of advice from from uh, you to uh, share with our listeners. So, Michael, why don't you uh, hit us with the first question? Love it, love it. So, what's the number one way athletes can prioritize not just their physical health but their mental health as well? Um. Find like-minded people to be around. Ah, oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, very good. What was your 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 most favorite single game you ever played in your career? <laughs> that's a hard one. Uh, the <laughs> championship was was really good, but I don't know, Ken, if you'll remember in Denver, uh, I played in the game at the old Auditorium Arena, probably before your time. But, no, uh, I, I was at that old arena before okay. my nickels. Yeah, so we played the Spurs, and we were down by uh, four points. I think it was with three seconds to go. Claude Terry hit a three-point shot. Yeah, um, Swin Nader from the other team took the ball out of bounds, threw it directly to me at the top of the key, and I knew I had to just throw it up there. And I threw it up there, and the ball went in. We won by one point. Scored five points in three seconds, and that was. One of the longest shots I ever took in my life that went in. That's one of my highlights. Wow, and 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 Claude uh, Claude was a believer, right? He, yes, uh, yeah. Claude, mm-hmm. Claude was reading his scripture when I was watching soap operas as a young believer. <laughs> there you and, go. And encouraged me, and by his leadership got me into the word. Yeah. Love it. No, and and I think he went on to one of our sister schools, Seattle Pacific. He was a head basketball coach. And, yes, he was. In fact, we were together last week in, in Utah uh, having Lorraine, the two of us. Oh, wow. That's, that's so wow, cool. that's great. Love it. Final Love it. question. Last question for this fire round is what is the what is the best lesson or what is the best piece of advice you ever got from a mentor? Oh, man. Uh well, I, I would say this: Coach Smith um, at, at North Carolina had a, had a we had a door that we would go out of the into the arena from our locker room, and his door for some reason was like five feet tall, and we all had to duck under to get to get out there. And over the door, he had this little plaque, and it says, "United we stand, divided we fall." Wow! And that that was a that was a a, a truism that uh, is is constant. And as a team, you know, if you're united, you do things together, you're going to stand. Divided, it's not going to happen. Wow. Powerful. Well, Bobby, I want to thank you. This has been a great conversation. So grateful that uh, you were willing to come on and, and have this conversation. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ken. I appreciate it. Love it, love it. And if you want more leadership content, you can check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle or Twitter at Kent Ingle. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, now's a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so that you can get weekly framework leadership into your feed. And if you want framework leadership and great leadership advice and tips directly to your inbox, you can visit the website, KentEngle.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and uh, we can hang out with you every week. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.